We're continuing in the story of Joseph as he is in Egypt. You recall that last week the story took a darker turn. And remember, as we read this text, this that Joseph is where he is because he was obedient to God. Not because he was disobedient, but because he followed the Word of God. This morning we will be looking at chapter 40 in its entirety. If you would please give attention to the Holy Word of God. It is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Genesis chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and the baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. And he attended them. They came some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also, there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. 
in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. and He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember but forgot him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. For Lord, we do not need dreams to be interpreted. For we have the certainty of your word authored by your Holy Spirit, written down by the hands of men as you move them. And we ask this morning, Lord, that this would not be something that we stand apart from and observe, but that your word would be dear to our hearts and that it would change us and our lives. This we ask in the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we come now in chapter 40 to the next section of the life of Joseph. You will recall that Joseph is one of the most interesting figures of the Old Testament. There is really not a spot in all of the Scripture in which Joseph He is a model of faith and of perseverance. In fact, he is also one of the greatest models of our Lord Jesus Christ in in the Old Testament. And here we come to a part of the story that is a dark day for Joseph. Showing to us that following the Lord Jesus Christ does not make us happy all of the time does not give us everything that we wish for. Oftentimes it brings to us heartache and sorrow. But you see, following the Lord Jesus Christ is not about obtaining the things of the world. It's about being found in the Lord. And so this morning I would like us to see three things that are a help to us from studying this story of Joseph. The first thing that we see is that God is in control. This is a doctrine that is under attack in our day, and it is not under attack primarily theologians. It's primarily under attack in our homes as we watch the news and as we think about circumstances. We are tempted to see a world out of control and our lives out of God's control. The second thing that we will see is an opportunity to be faithful. Gives to Joseph and to us opportunities to be faithful in his providence. 
And then the third thing that we will see as a part of God's control and providence is that we need to find the right encouragement in what God has given to us. God is in control. He gives us an opportunity to be faithful. And we need to find the right encouragement. Well, let's begin then by looking and seeing God in control. In order to understand God's sovereignty, that the Lord is in charge of every single part of the universe. As one theologian has said, there is not one maverick molecule in all of the universe that is not under the control and watchful eye of the Lord. The best way to understand this, perhaps not the easiest, is to see it in the midst of difficulty. Isn't that true? We all can confess that God is in control when we are flourishing in our job. When our income is good. When our children get good grades. When we hit the home run at the baseball game. It's obvious that we're in control because good things are happening to us. But the only problem with that kind of thinking is it's really not God in control. but And so here we have Joseph. Now think with me for just a moment about Joseph's circumstances. He grows up in a dysfunctional home where there's fighting all the time. This is the church of God. And it's full of arguments and fights and bickering. His father shows favoritism toward him. And that would be very uncomfortable. And it gets even worse when the next circumstance comes upon him that his mother dies. So far, not so good. Then God brings to him the providence of having a dream, a gift that God gives to him. And that brings him yet more. It gets all of his brothers furious with him. It has even his father criticizing him. And all he is doing is trying to follow the Lord. And then his father sends him off on an errand, sure to make his brothers livid. And he's obedient. But the difficulties continue. And it just so happens that God happens to send Midianites down past where he is. This is not a good circumstance, for that means he is about to be sold into slavery and carried off from his family to nowhere that he has ever known. He comes to Egypt, just so happens that he is sold to Potiphar. Now we might think, well, news, now he's in a good place, he's with a rich and powerful man, but it turns out that this is also a very bad circumstance, because it just so happens that Potiphar's wife He's unfaithful and seeks him. And then he is thrown into prison because he gets no trial or justice. Now, I want you for a moment here not to imagine Joseph. I want you to imagine you sitting in this prison. What would you say? Lord, where are you? Why did my mother have to die? What? much fighting in my family? 
Why was I sold into slavery? Why did you allow this injustice to go on? Why am I now in prison? Where are you? When will you show yourself? You can just imagine all of the circumstances are conspiring to not only depress Joseph, but to convince him that God is on vacation. Because if God truly loved him and truly had a wonderful plan for his life, things would be so much better. These are hard times that Joseph has. He is in undeserved pain. Now, I think there's no one that can understand the anguish that Joseph is going through than our young people. What do I mean by that? What's the possible thing that happens in your family, young people? Is there anything worse than something bad happens and you do it and mom and dad blame you? Is there anything worse than that? Because what do you do? You plead your innocence, don't you? And if your family's like mine, that just makes dad angrier. Because you're not owning up to it. Why don't you own up to it? But I didn't do it. Of course you did. I know you did. But I didn't do it. Is there anything worse than that? It makes you miserable. That's what Joseph is feeling right now. Remember also who put him in prison. One of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. So he's sitting there thinking to himself, well, about the only chance I have is if maybe Pharaoh does something for me. How in the world am I going to meet Pharaoh in prison? I mean, there are prisoners coming through here. There might be visitors coming through here. But the captain of the guard is against me. What chance do I have? We also have to remember that this is a real-life difficult situation. You see, I think we read this text and we romanticize it. And we think that Joseph's in some sort of club med. He's got nice, clean clothes and plenty of food to eat. After all, he's in charge of the prison. If you think that's a fun job, talk to a prison guard. See how much they like it. Psalm 105 tells us that Joseph's feet were put in fetters. That is, iron chains around his legs. And his neck was put in a collar of iron. This is not comfortable. Some of you wear ties, do you? Because the, they make the back of the shirt, that tag, itch. Imagine what you, your neck was made of metal. And it chained you to a wall. This would be a perfect opportunity for us if we were counseling Joseph to say, you know what, you've got every right to be mad at God. God's abandoned you. You're miserable. There's nothing to be happy about here. Obviously, God has done something. And maybe, you know what, it's probably your fault. Does the enemy accuse you when things don't go your way, when difficulties come, does he pile on to the sorrow by saying, you know, you're having that trouble at your job because it's your fault. If you read your Bible more, then God would probably give you an easier job. Oh, you know that difficulty with that child of yours? I think it's because you don't pray enough. If you prayed more, then things would be better. And you see, we are under attack by the enemy and we are tempted to think that, it, that 
the world and life is some kind of cosmic, put in a token, God gives us blessings. But you see, that's not how Joseph lived. One of the most interesting things about this chapter is what's not in this chapter. I have to tell you, if chapter 40 were the story of Fred Greco in prison, there would be many, many more verses of whining and moaning and complaining. And I don't think that's left out here. I think Joseph has a spirit that is gripped by God. That he trusts in him. You see, Joseph knows that God is still there, even though it may not be evident in the circumstances. How do we know this? Joseph keeps working, doesn't he? He keeps after it. Have you ever had in your office at work a short timer? Somebody that's about to transfer to a different office or take a different job or go to a different school. And about that last week they're working. They're working. Right? Their heart isn't in it. They're lounging around. This didn't happen years ago in my day, but Facebook. But you see, Joseph is... Is active here. In the midst of all of this misery, he gets yet another charge. That is, these two officials. And he's active in helping them and serving them and attending on them. You see, what the enemy wants you to do is to be discouraged and to give up. And I have to tell you that this is a very, very vulnerable time for Christians in history. Because it is far, far, far easier to throw up your hands in disgust and to blame the President and to blame the Congress and to blame Hollywood and to blame everyone else and say, I'm done with this. That's it. Because things are going well. It seems for the church. It seems every battle the church has at large in the world is a loss. Is a big loss. And then we look at the church and we have the same reaction. We look at the news and we see churches that don't open the Bible, that don't preach God's Word, that don't do work and ministry. And we say, I've had it with the church. I'm giving up on them too. You see, that's where the acts. He wants you to give up. But not Joseph, because you see, knows God. And more importantly, if you can follow me here, Joseph knows that he knows God. It's a very interesting little parable, proverb, that I read in my study this week. I don't know where it comes from. It's anonymous. But there are those who... And they don't know they don't know. Those are fools. Stay away from them. There are those who don't know, but they know they don't know. Teach them. There are those who know, but they don't know they know. They're asleep. They need to be woken up. And there are those who know that they know, and they lead and we. This is what Joseph has. This is the power of Joseph here. He knows God and he is secure in his knowledge of God and all of the chaff, 
All of the noise is in the distance. You see, the secret to the Christian life is not having all of your circumstances line up perfectly. If you are waiting for your circumstances to line up until you get involved in ministry, until you commit yourself to prayer, until you read your scriptures, you will never do that. The secret to the Christian life is understanding that circumstances are not in control over us. That's where Joseph is. God is also in control around us and around Joseph. There's a reminder here to Joseph and to us that we are not alone. You see, a problem is we do not look beyond us. I have to give you some sharp advice. The whole world is not about you. You see, we think we something happens and we immediately assume it's about us. God's trying to tell us something. He's trying to reward us or punish us. And we forget that as we sit, there are people next to us. And God's involved in their lives too. And you see, that's what happens here. Part of what is happening in Joseph's life is with God's eternal plan for the butler and the baker. You see, others are in that same place. And we also need to remember as we sit and talk to the cupbearer and the baker and as each of us thinks it's about us, that we need to remember it isn't all about even all of us. Because God has a grand eternal plan. Again, believe it or not, there were people that lived before us. There will be people who will live after us. And God has plans for them as well. You see, God has a plan that He is working out His plan of redemption for His people throughout the course of history. And we get this encouragement here in what... So after a long time, the cupbearer of the king and the baker of the king come into this jail. This is a great encouragement to Joseph. Do you know why? Do you see what the text says? Pharaoh was angry with them and he put them into the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. And then in verse 4, the captain of the guard put them into the custody of Joseph. Now before you read that too quickly, answer a question in your mind. Who is the captain of the guard? His name is Potiphar. Think about that. You see, Moses wants us to put together. He could have said Potiphar. You see, what's happening here is Joseph feels he's been betrayed, jail, and here his nemesis, the one who has him in jail, Potiphar, somehow shows a kindness, brings high-ranking officials into his midst, puts him in charge over them. This is like a telegram from God saying, Joseph, I have not forgotten you. You see, I'm even working on the heart of the one who put you here. I'm in control. If I want to, I can make Potiphar be nice to you. What an encouragement to Joseph that this is what happens. And you see, it reminds him that he's not 
written by God, that God is in control of him and his circumstances. And it is the voice of hope that is broken into his life. Do you hear that voice of hope in your life? You see, God speaks to you a voice of hope. It may be through friends. It may be through loved ones. It may be through His... But that voice of hope is there. See and understand that God is in control. We have two options. Our first option is to sit around and be lazy. After all, God's in control. Whatever he wants, he'll get. I don't need to do anything. The second option is what the scriptures teach us. And that is, God's control over our life gives us an opportunity to be faithful. And to draw closer to God by following his will and his word. And this is what happens to Joseph. These two officials come down. Now, again, we have to get the right picture of what is going on here. You see, I think as we, as we talk about the cupbearer, or as some translations call it, the butler and the baker, you're probably picturing in your minds right now an Egyptian man, maybe with the, uh, the thing on his head, and in a tuxedo with a bow tie, and then an Egyptian chef boyardee. You know, with the white and the big hat. That's what we picture. But you see, that's not our. This is not the chief fry cook and the waiter. You see, these are two very high-ranking officials. The one who was the cupbearer, in our terms, would be the prime minister. He would be a confidant of the pharaoh. He would be a political authority. And the one who was the baker would not just be in charge of the kitchen. That would be, for the most part, a ceremonial role in in the worship of idols, he would be the one who led and who took care of the food. These are high-ranking officials. These are senators, governors in the court of Pharaoh. And God brings them into the presence of Joseph. And here Joseph, Hebrew slave, fetters around his legs, iron his neck, slavery, he looks... And he says, why are you so sad? You should cheer up a bit. That's what the text says. It says their faces are downcast. They look miserable. Why are they so miserable? Well, they say, we've had these dreams. And it's a coincidence because we both had dreams on the same night, and they're very similar. But we don't have anyone to interpret them for us. We need a professional Now, you see, in Egypt at these times, there were professionals of dreams. They went around and they listened to dreams and they wrote in a book and they kept track of it and then they would offer an interpretation. And they they were the pros. They were the ones who knew these sorts of things. And this is, to start with, evidence of a society that has lost the knowledge of God. Because they're looking for magic. It's not that different from our society, is it? The year predictions that come out in December and January still sell out in the grocery store, don't they? Tarot businesses are still all over the place, aren't they? They're still fortune readers. 
in our civilized, scientific, Western society. But the church is no better at times, is it? Rather than seek God's Word and work through as God has given to us, we look at every God, if that light turns green, I'll go on a mission trip. This is the way we think. But you see, Joseph confronts this thinking and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't interpret God. <laughs> is it he speaks? If you're, if you're not sure, tell me the dream. Now, now we know he's already got a reputation for doing this. But I want you to understand something else here about Joseph. He's had these other dreams, hasn't he? These other dreams that said that God would put him in charge of his family and his parents. What Joseph is doing is trusting the Lord that the Lord has spoken truly to him. Because if God has given him this benefit, has given him this gift, then it should work again. And if it doesn't work, then maybe everything he staked his life on is wrong. He's a great confidence in the Lord. I want you to also see that Joseph seizes on the providence of God put before him. He didn't have to approach the cupbearer and the baker. He didn't have to offer to interpret them. He didn't give them the interpretations. He could have been minding his own business. But you see, he sees that God is at work here in the prison. And when God is at work, then we work. Have you ever had a friend or a co-worker who seemed more open to the things of God than before? Maybe you suggested they read a certain chapter of the Bible and they actually do. They ask you to pray for them once or twice. And you're hopeful. You see that God may be at work. Is the appropriate response, that's great. I'll leave him alone for a while. No, right? You see God's at work and what? You are all over them. With more advice. With more questions. With more engagement. Because you see, the ground is fertile. But you see, that's also how God works in our lives. When He gives us opportunities in His providence, we need to redouble our efforts. When He gives us opportunities in His providence to grow more and more in holiness, we need to step up our diligence in following after Him. This is what Joseph does. And so the cupbearer gives him this dream. And three vines and a cluster of grapes, and the grapes are squeezed into the cup, and Pharaoh takes the cup. And Joseph looks at it. Well, let me tell you. This is what it means. In three days, you'll be set free. Please, when you're freed, remember me. And this is as close in all of the Bible as Joseph gets to a complaint. And it's really more of a description than a complaint. He says, listen, I was stolen. And that's why I'm here. And I'm unjustly accused. Could, could you please just remember me to Pharaoh? Now, you'll notice how measured he is. He doesn't say, get Pharaoh down here. He doesn't say, hire me a lawyer. because he got... It's very measured. Could you please just remember me? 
and make mention of it. And then I'll trust God. Some think that Joseph was showing a lack of faith here. That he should have just been silent and God. But you see, that's not how God works. God works through means and through circumstances. He will effectuate it, we will see. It is not to sit on the sidelines and be lazy and quiet and expect God to do everything. You see, God in His grace works in our lives, but He is shaping us, molding us, changing us. And our actions are one of the things that He uses. Well, the next thing that happens is expected, isn't it? The baker pops right up. You could almost imagine in your mind's eye. Right after Joseph says, you'll be restored. The baker rushes up, pushes the cupbearer out of the way, and says, come on, let me tell you about my dream. Tell me when I get free. Is it three days? Two and a half days? Come on, let me tell you about my dream. And he gives him this dream. And Joseph answers in, in almost the same fashion. Do you notice that? He says the three baskets are three days. And you will have your head lifted up by Pharaoh. Except for he adds what's in Hebrew, one word. Your head will be lifted up from off of you. You're going to... And then Pharaoh's going to hang you up and the birds are going to eat your food. Now can you imagine how devastated the baker would be? This gives us another little insight into Joseph and his integrity. What would you be tempted to do here? Might you not be tempted to say, I'm not really sure what that dream means. Something's going to happen in three days. Maybe we should look for the birds in three days. That's it. Let's look for the birds. Or maybe you'd say, you know, I'd love to interpret your dream, but my limit is one dream a week. Come back next week. I'll see you. I got you on my list. We'll take care of it. Now, that's humorous, but let me ask you this question. Do you like to give bad news to someone else? Do you like to tell someone things are going to happen? But you see, we're called to do that. I have to tell you that that's one of the hardest parts of being a minister. You know, we talk about the joy of salvation and of salvation in Christ Jesus and in faith in Jesus. But part of that job, the other side of the coin, is that I need to tell you, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you will not have your best life now or later. What awaits you is eternal destruction and pain and anguish forever. Now, would I be helping you if I held that back? Do you let your children skip toward oncoming traffic without a warning? You see, this is part of the difficult task we have as believers, not just as ministers, but as believers. Because you see, Joseph here has to confront the baker with news he obviously does not want to hear. But it shows us that Joseph is a man of courage and integrity. He knows that God is in his midst and he trusts the Lord. God is in control and he's given Joseph an opportunity to be faithful. And then at the end of this chapter, 
He shows us the way that we can find the right encouragement. There are two things that happen here. They seem opposite, but they work together. You see here in verse 20, on the third day, exactly as Joseph had interpreted, it just happened to be Pharaoh's birthday. There's a coincidence. Pharaoh makes a feast and he fulfills not one, but both of the dreams. Now, can you imagine what Joseph would be thinking here? God is with me. God is blessing me. And by the way, those dreams I had before, they must be true. Because this is how God is working. Wow! So he has confidence. Confidence in the providence of God. And, and if we are honest, we get encouraged too, don't we? Good things will happen to us, especially when others encourage us. You know, you really ought to, you really on that mission trip. You'll find a blessing from it. You know, you really ought to join that Bible study. It'll be good for you. You know, you really ought to take that new job. And then when things work out, we are encouraged. But you see, the problem with that is that encouragement doesn't last. Could you imagine Joseph in prison? He hears that the cupbearer has been restored. And what is the last thing he said to him? Remember me before Pharaoh. So he's sitting in the prison. Knock at the door. It's got to be the cupbearer. Bang! Opens the door. No. It's got to be the cupbearer. No. Next week. Well, maybe it's the cupbearer. Let's go. Nope. Next month. I wonder if it's a cupbearer. Probably not. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? When you have such a high ex and it's dashed. If your hope is solely in that, your life will be dashed. Because you see, the right encouragement that we get is not from our circumstances. We can be encouraged by God's providence, but it's only because we know that God is at work and that God is in our life. The right way to be encouraged is in God. And God here is working in Joseph. Not in a way that he would like, not in a way that you would like, not in a way that I would like. But he is strengthening Joseph's faith, faith, excuse me, by patience. He's working in him. Now, why would he do this? Some of you have experienced this, haven't you? You struggle with an illness for a long time. Why? You might even say to yourself, Lord, I understand generally. I understand why you would give me this burden of this illness. But really? Six months? Really? Three years? Why so long? I think in this instance, the cupbearer does not come back to save Joseph because if the cupbearer came back, Joseph would be tempted to see his salvation in the work of the cupbearer and not in the work of God. And God says, be patient. Two years be patient. 
Is God calling you right now to be patient? He may be. He may be calling you to be patient in a job situation. He may be calling you to be patient in a marriage that is not what you think it should be. He may be calling you to be patient with families and relationships with children and parents that you don't think is what it should be. But you see, God is calling you to be patient that He would build up faith in you and that He would show His glory in your life. He does this for three things. Let me close for us to think about. He strengthens us by patience. First, that we would stop thing in men. Whether that is ourselves or others. We are not to trust in the power of men. The second thing that he does this for is that we would turn to the love of God, to turn to Him, to seek Him, to find our fullness in Him. And the third thing, which is the hardest, is that He does this that we might wait upon Him. It's not fun to wait, is it? I've seen some of you all posting in social media, happy you are that the newest driver's license place is efficient and quick. Because isn't that, if I were to ask you, what is a miserable waiting place? Everybody would say the driver's license place. I mean, I learned how to drive 30 years ago, and it was true then. We don't like to wait. We don't even like to wait for food now to come out of the microwave. Do you remember years ago when there were no... Kids, you don't understand this. If you said, I'm hungry, mom said, sure, 45 minutes. What? Not 45 seconds? Yeah. We don't like to wait. Teach us to wait. To have patience. To trust Him. And that we might have patience with others. This is the story of Joseph. It is not a story of wealth and power and comfort. That comes later. But most of Joseph's life, most of his active youth is spent chained to a wall. But let me tell you this. If God is in there where you're chained, it is the best place on the face of the earth. Let's pray.